And it is a great pleasure to have Elliot Lewis, who did just about anything you can do in radio. Starred in many suspense broadcasts, bit parts in others, directed the show. There was an anecdote on Gunsmoke where uh, the agency band was sitting up in the booth or something, and there was a line in the script that said uh, where Matt Dillon was supposed to have said, well, we're lucky that didn't happen. And he, and he just went through the roof. He said, well, you can't have the word lucky on a show that's sponsored by Chesterfield. That's the kind of thing we're talking about, where agencies and sponsors and, and so forth just really should butt out and not be involved in We that. had one like that when I was producing the Lucy show at a Christmas show. Agency man is sitting there at the dress rehearsal. End of the Christmas show, a group of child singers arrive at the door to sing a carol. And Lucy opens the door and says, oh, come in, Merry Christmas, Merry Christmas, lovely closing. And they go, joy to the world. And the agency man went right through the roof, because that was a competing product. Mm. Joy. Incredible. You know. So if you're dealing with what we used to call the League of Frightened Men, all the people that are afraid to have opinions or, or have judgments or allow anybody else to have them, for fear of rocking the boat. Well, that's a devastating uh, series of words. The League of Frightened Men. <laughs> yeah, well, we always used to call them. You know. I used to have a, a cup on my desk that, that I kept pencils in, and I had painted on it a famous Fred Allen line, which is, Where were you when the page was blank? Jazz and Talk Station. I'm Les Davis, and I get in on the music end of it weeknights at 8 p.m. I'm much cooler than Brett Reed. Are you ready for the ultimate test? Are you safe? The time is now on the Hollywood Radio Theater. This is The Zero Hour. The Hollywood Radio Theater. through Friday, a J.M. Colas Enterprises production, the Hollywood Radio Theater, presents an unusual tale of mystery and suspense. Every week, Monday through Friday, the Hollywood Radio Theater presents... I'm Rod Serling. You're listening to The Zero Hour. Rest your eyes. Exercise your imagination. This week, Bill S. Ballinger's best-selling novel of the pursuit of a damned couple. The wife of the red-haired man. Starring Patty Dugaston. John Astor. In Elliot Lewis's production of The Zero Hour. 
This is WRVR 106.7 FM in New York. Hugh Rohan has returned after having been missing for seven years to find his wife Mercedes married to Albert Turner. In a confrontation, Rohan panics and kills Turner. Mercedes, still in love with the red-haired man, flees with him, paying for their escape by selling her jewels. As their flight continues, Rohan subtly changes, losing his assurance, his confidence, even much of his ability to make decisions. Assigned to the case are two New York City detectives, Scores of Homicide and Williams of the 19th Precinct. They have been painstakingly putting together the puzzle of Albert Turner's murder by tracing Mercedes Turner and Hugh Rohan's earlier life. Their trail has taken them from New York to Connecticut to Virginia. But first, this word. The bazaar with pizzazz that's definitely African is called Ashanti. Ashanti at 65th and Lexington, where folks with flair shop. We bought a pair of uh, bracelets. I understand that they're West Indian. They have uh, some very delicate work in the silver. And I think my wife's going to enjoy them very, very much. When people come home from a trip, they almost always bring you a gift, and we've decided to reverse the procedure and have a gift waiting for her. Buy someone you love a gift from Ashanti. Time is what's needed in police work. Time for lab work, time to check out clues, time to find witnesses. Time to get replies to the hundreds of flyers that are put out to locate stolen or missing property. Two weeks after Albert Turner's murder, the Missing Property Bureau called me regarding a batch of jewelry bought by a New York wholesaler. One of the items was a pair of diamond cluster earrings sold to the New York outfit by a shop in Richmond, Virginia. The earrings were those described by the insurance company as belonging to Mercedes Turner, part of the jewelry she'd taken from her safe deposit box the morning after her husband's murder. I flew down to Richmond to talk to a man named Town who'd bought the earrings from the Turner woman. If you'd uh, look at this sketch, please, Mr. Town. Does the woman seem familiar to you? Hmm. Uh, yes, sir, it looks like her, sort of. But, uh, you know, the first gentleman I talked to in New York mentioned the name Turner. The lady I wrote out a check to was a Mrs. Brewer. As soon as the check clears, I'd like a copy of her endorsement. Compare it with our suspect's handwriting. Make sure we've got the right person. All right. I'd be pleased to help you. How'd the lady react to the money you gave her? Was she disappointed, you suggesting? Mm. <laughs> she was indeed. But then they always are, you know. Person don't take into account markup and resale prices and so on and so on. She was disappointed, I'd say. But she accepted your offer. Oh, yes, yes. We have a good reputation, whether she knew it or not. I offered her a fair price, and after a few minutes of debating with herself, she accepted the check. Was she alone, or was there a man with her? She was alone, sir. If someone was with her, he stayed outside because she was alone. We stayed in Kansas City while I advertised that my jewelry and mink coat were for sale. Where he had wanted to run, to move constantly. Now, without explanation, he changed and seemed content to stay. Not content, perhaps, but at least no longer argumentative. Then one evening, we were sitting in our room having a drink together. 
when suddenly he began to talk about what had happened. Stupid. You see, I always wanted to be a doctor all my life to help people, not kill them. Well, you know, in a war, you see things. There are things you have to do. Terrible things, brutal, awful things. The army reported you missing in action. Then after a few years, they told me you were presumed dead. Well, what happened was, see, this one day, we were out on a search and destroy. I was on one flank, and it was all quiet and pretty. I remember a jet, a passenger jet, Air France, I think, flying overhead, filled with civilians going about their peaceful business. And... What happened that day, honey? All hell broke loose. I don't know. They, they must have been waiting for us. I got separated. I, I, I couldn't find anyone. The air was black. Men screaming. Did you ever hear a man scream in pain? No. See, it's, it's, it's not that I was yellow, but... All that blood and terror, pain. I left there. I, I, I just wandered off. The army didn't find you? No, no way. It was like an animal crawling through the jungle, hiding, afraid for my life. Somehow, I, I, I don't know how, I, I got to the coast, to where the merchant ships were anchored, waiting to get into the harbor and unload. That's where I met Cargill. Merchant seaman on the job ashore, an old tanker. He told me he'd give me his papers and get me a berth on an outgoing freighter to Montreal if I'd help him. Uh, help him how? Well, he wanted me to deliver some uncut rubies to a fence there. You, you understand? I, I, you see, I, I didn't do it for money, not for anything, except to get away from there and, and get, get home, home to you. That's all I wanted. You understand? Yes, Hugh. Of course. But how... Exactly. How? That's where it all comes apart. I was caught before I made the delivery. Cargill hadn't given me a package of rubies. I was carrying heroin. Didn't you tell the police? No, no, no. I kept Cargill's papers and shut up. You see, I, I thought I'd served my time and not tell anyone, not even you, till it was over. And then we could go away somewhere, and I'd, I'd take another name, I'd study medicine, and, and be a doctor the way I always wanted. Look at me, Mercy. Yes, dear. Is it too late? I don't know. You don't blame me? No. In New Orleans, there's a man who can get us passports, but it, it, it's expensive. We'll sell more jewelry. And someone will buy the coat. He's after us, you know. Who? A cop. I told you, I know when he's onto something, it's, it's like the two of us are connected. Hugh, he, he may be after us. We don't know what they found out. I'm going to paint the car blue. And 
Get in, gonna get another set of plates. I'll be back. One of the radio veterans featured in this episode was Byron Kane. It was all on-the-job training. It started in that backyard of Richard Pettuccini when I said to my other friend, oh yes, I will go over. I walked over to KMPC against the wall with high Aberback, and away I went. That was really the first thing. Why I was able to do it, I can only say Mother Nature gave me that gift. I was. I have theories, of course, about acting and as, as many years have passed, I've talked to younger actors and who told me about their desires and their systems and the methods and the things, and I could go on for hours about that. I think a fine actor or actress, I believe, I know, a fine actor or actress is born. You don't learn to be a fine actress. You can learn on the job and learn tricks. Oh my God, the mistakes I've made. Of course, of course. But the Lorene Tuttles, whoever, however she started, no one has to tell me. She was born, and I could go to the list of the people that you could remind me of that I've forgotten. Another was Paula Winslow. My claim to fame is that Clark Gable asked for me to be his leading lady. Oh, that's great. Yeah, <laughs> and what, and two or three on, times. On Silver Theater? Or yes, other, other on part? Silver Theater. Uh-huh. I was very thrilled. That's pretty good. <laughs> yes, it was pretty good. And was he really a lady killer? He was a very nice man. He never made any kind of overtures to anybody. Mm -hmm. He was just a big, good, kind of a man's man, you Mm -hmm. know. No, he was very nice. And kept, you know, very nice, not uh, an actory kind of man Mm -hmm. at all. Everybody liked him, you know, men and women. Was he comfortable with radio? Uh, He seemed to be. Mm -hmm. Uh, A lot of them were quite nervous. Did you do many doubling like that? Did you do much of that? Mm Mm-hmm. Different type of voice? Yes. You did many Yes, I did everything from babies to Claudette Colbert's grandmother. <laughs> oh, yeah. When I was, you know, young, I was in my 20s. Mm-hmm. Did you do a baby cry? Were you one of the I criers? I, I wasn't. <clears throat> the best baby crier was a Mary Lansing. Uh-huh. She mm-hmm. was an awfully good baby crier. Some of us did. I have done it, but I wasn't. But she was the... There were people who were sort of known for things, and mm-hmm. Mary was the best baby crier. She was marvelous. We would support the stars. Mm-hmm. If they would have, for instance, if Betty Davis did Dark Victory, mm-hmm. I did the part that Geraldine Fitzgerald did in the picture, you know, the second yeah. lead. Uh-huh. And then sometimes we'd do a lead opposite one of the stars. After we recover the earrings, I guess Mercedes Turner would confine future sales to private parties. If she'd been as upset as the jeweler described her over not receiving a retail price for her merchandise, she'd advertise and take her chance on private buyer sales. That would also apply to her fur coat. One thing for sure, they were going to need all the money they could get their hands on to keep running. I judged they might have gone south from Richmond, but figured it was more likely they'd head west to get as far away as possible from New York. I arranged with the Bureau of Information to subscribe to a clipping service covering 18 cities, places like Louisville, Kansas City, St. Louis, Oklahoma City, through the area where I figured they'd most likely be. We wanted to look in the personal columns of those local newspapers at items for sale. There was a three-day lag before the first clippings arrived. Scores and I began wading through a box of the stuff. Oh, boy. 
Never realized so many people had so much stuff for sale. Wearing you down, huh? Well, it's beginning to, Will. Now look at this. Watches for sale. Also necklaces, bracelets, pendants, brooches, earrings. <laughs> Anything your heart desires is from sale, coast to coast. And this. Mink coat. Turner woman had a mink coat. And they were addressing the ad just the Jefferson Hotel, Kansas City, room 1417, and the hotel phone number. You suppose it's them? Bless all your codes. No way you can tell where the double the call's coming from. You're nervous, Will. Yep. Good morning, Jefferson Hotel. Uh, room 1417, please. Will you hold? That line is busy. Uh, yes, I'll wait. They ringing? Yeah, room phone's busy. I'm on hold. Why don't you pick up the extension? Yeah. I can ring your party now. Thank you. Hello. Room 1417? Yes. You the party offering a mink coat for sale? What? No. Well, there was an ad last Sunday's newspaper advertising a fur coat for sale. No, I don't know anything about it. I just checked in last night. Sorry. Well, uh, get the hotel operator for me again, will you please? Yeah, sure. Operator, may I help you? Yes, operator. This is the New York police. Uh, who was the party checked out of room 1417 yesterday? Uh, one moment, sir. I'll check that for you. You think it was them, huh? Almost sure. Uh, sir, the party registered as Mr. and Mrs. Y.V. Garfield, North Sneedham Drive, Detroit, Michigan. Thank you, operator. Okay, I'll check it out with Detroit. Eight, five, and even, they're phony. I'll get some more information from the Kansas City cops. We stayed longer in Kansas City than we planned. We moved from hotel to hotel, running ads in the paper, and I sold off my jewelry piece by piece. Winter held Missouri in a bleak embrace. The city tried to cheer itself with holiday decorations, strings of lights and vivid displays from the plaza to the downtown area. But the approach of Christmas brought little joy to Hugh or me. It was then that he began to disappear for hours at a time. I assumed he was walking or reading in the library. Anything to be out of that confining hotel room. Uh, are, are you the uh, store manager? Uh, your assistant, Davis. Uh, the, uh, a, a sign in your window, uh, for help? You need a stock boy, two dollars an hour. I'll, I'll take it, Mr. Davis. Uh, what's your name? Uh, Tufts. All right, Tufts, full or part-time? Um, uh, part-time, but, uh, as many hours as I can get in. Stock rooms downstairs, report to the chief clerk, get a time card, punch in and out, you'll be paid every day. <laughs> Thank you, Mr. Davis. Y.V. Garfield and wife, North Sneedham Drive, Detroit, didn't exist. No such persons, no such address. The KC cops furnished us with a description of the couple which fit loosely Rohan and Mercedes Turner, except no red hair. 
but I'd already figured he'd have died it by now. Scores and I brought our chiefs up to date, and an hour later, we were on a plane to Kansas City. You think he's still there? Well, if not, we'll pick up the end of the string. Well, if they have busted out, where do you suppose he might be heading, Well, Mexico? Ah, no, she's too smart for Mexico. They'll go out of the country, somewhere they speak English, England, Australia, New Zealand. Well, maybe not England. The cops are too good there. Hey, you think they still got the same car? Last we heard was a great compact, Michigan plates. That might mean something. What? In Virginia, they use New Jersey plates. In Kansas City, they have Michigan plates. Yeah, might change again, huh? Yeah, Kansas City, Missouri, just across the river from Kansas City, Kansas. My hunch is they'll pick Kansas plates. Less obvious? Exactly. Mercedes Turner's a cutie. Money smart. Not too sure about Rohan. You really zeroed in on him, didn't you? From the beginning, before there was any proof, I knew he was there. I just knew what he looked like. A bit how he thinks. He's our best bet. The weakest? Yeah. Yeah, put it like that. Rohan's intelligent, but he's emotional. Poor control. He's going to break sooner or later. He's more of a drag than an asset. If Mercedes Turner were all by herself, that'd be another story. By October 1973, it was obvious that Jake Colos couldn't afford to keep funding new episodes of the Zero Hour, thanks to AFTRA's changing terms. He looked to make a deal with a network. And I felt it was uncalled for at that point because, you know, I'm the one that took this gamble. I'm the one that started this whole thing, and there's certainly every right to get more money for their... But none of the actors were complaining. Everybody was thrilled to do it. We had no problem getting these films. Uh, to do these shows, and uh, everybody loved it. It was kind of a love fest. They were bringing uh, this other business reality into it. And I think I just felt, you know, I just don't want, it's just not worth it. Plus, it was probably going to be that much more difficult to make it work financially. And I was exhausted. I'd been on the road a lot, selling the show and all this stuff. So I said, maybe I should just make a deal with somebody and let them figure out. And that's kind of what happened. The Mutual Broadcasting System and C. Edward Little were interested. We made the deal fairly quickly. I think we met in person once, probably talked on the phone a couple of times, but the deal was made fairly quickly. And one conversation I do remember had to do with hells and dams. I wanted the stories to continue to be strong. I think maybe that's where we had a little bit of a falling out because I was, you know, I wanted to do strong pieces. I know Rod did, a little, little more edge to him, and they said something about, well, you know, we can only do, I don't know, two hells in one day. I don't know, it was some stupid corporate thing, and I probably tuned out after that, but that, that, that was what I, one of the things I do remember. A deal came together quickly. A press conference announcing the move was set for November 1st. We heard that presser at the beginning of this episode. The Zero Hour would be moving to Mutual on December 17, 1973. I never really had anything to do with Mutual. Once the deal was made, it was their deal, and, you know, I was on to other things. We wanted to do things that were stronger, and as opposed to just a rehash of what was done in the 30s or 40s or 50s. In other words, in the same style, in the, you know, radio uh, theater of the mind, all that kind of stuff. But to do stories that are a little more contemporary or stronger and, mm -hmm. and all that, and... I think he was resistant to it, because I think initially when we talked, you know, I was discussing whether I would 
stay on and they had wanted me to stay on. And then when we talked about you know, the future, it was very clear to me that I was going to get really caught up in this whole corporate claptrap. That's probably why I opted out. Before new episodes could be broadcast, Mutual would air the 13 five-part episodes already directed by Elliot Lewis. Gradually, I sold off the jewelry and we began to accumulate the money we needed to get our passports and arrange for passage out of the country. Hugh, meanwhile, continued to disappear each day. But I must confess that it was easier not having him underfoot in each of those small hotel rooms we occupied. Good morning. Didn't think you were going to show. Uh, sorry, Mr. Davis. I, yes. I, Christmas is day after tomorrow. Well, I'd be glad. You said that uh, uh, working here, I, I can get a 20% discount? Yes, Tufts. Anything in the store. Now, get with it. Restock counter 15 with perfume. Uh, yes, sir. As soon as I get my jacket. We arrived in Kansas City before noon. The local cops gave us plenty of cooperation. We started checking hotels, big and little, good and bad, a million of them. At some of them, they remembered a couple staying a few days, running an ad to sell jewelry, then checking out. At the Jefferson, there was an unclaimed letter for the Garfields from a Mrs. Arms, return address in Kansas City. They went to check it out, but nobody was home. Downtown garages were covered for a three-year-old gray compact with Michigan or Kansas plates. By then, it was dark. Walking to our hotel, I passed a big super drugstore. I needed some things, went in. Walk back toward men's toiletries. Can I help you? Yes, I uh, need a shaving kit and some blades. How about a new electric razor? No, just uh, blades, cream, uh, aftershave. Something wrong? The man over there uh, by the perfume counter. From the stockroom. Has he been here long? Most of us are extra help for the Christmas rush. Is there anything else? Uh, No, I don't think so. Hey, where'd he go? Why, back to the stockroom, I guess. Where? Where's that? In the basement. Hey, your things! Don't you want them? Uh, a guy just come through here? Yeah, Tufts, like a rocket in his tail. Same as you. Which way? The alley. South now? Yes. New Orleans, I guess. Not directly. Where's the map of Louisiana? In the glove compartment. It isn't. Oh, I remember I had it in our room at the hotel. We'll get another one. If the policeman had tried to arrest you in the drugstore, what would you have done? Shot him. Would that have helped? There'll always be another. I'll get as many as I can. Let me see the gun. Okay. Be careful. How many shots? Seven. One in the chamber, six in the clip. Hugh, look, a truck stalled up there. Left his lights on. No one around. He probably went for help. Stop the car. Get the get the Nebraska plates. Okay. Right away. 
I'll keep the gun in my purse. At least I knew Rohan and the Turner woman were in Kansas City. Why had they stayed over? Well, I figured she was still trying to sell more jewelry. I beat it to the newspaper office. They were making up the morning edition. There was an ad, as I expected. Strobridge Hotel, room number, with a diamond bracelet for sale. When Scores and I got there, we'd missed them by half an hour. The local cops and the highway patrol sent out an all-points bulletin. Meanwhile, I went out to see Mrs. Arms, who wrote the unclaimed letter. She was at home now. Pleasant-faced woman, mixed gray and blonde hair, living in a big, comfortable fieldstone house, log burning in the fireplace. Why, yes, I went down to Mrs. Garfield's room at the hotel. I was interested in the fur coat she wanted to sell. But you didn't buy it? No, it was a lovely coat. I, I made her an offer, but she didn't take it. Well, I came home and thought it over. And later, I tried to call her, but there was no answer. So I dropped her a note offering more. Mrs. Arms, when you were in the hotel room, uh, did you see anything unusual? No, nothing. Pieces of luggage, closed, toilet articles on the dresser. Think, please try to remember. It may not seem important, but anything other than personal items. Well, now let me see. There was a, a writing desk, uh, uh, something on it, mm. um, a, a red cover, uh, blue and white letters, uh, folded, a, a map. Of what, Mrs. Arms? What map? Uh, let's see. Uh, uh, Louisiana. That's it, Louisiana, New Orleans. What town is this? I don't know. How far are we from Kansas City? About 40 miles. I'm worried. They must have roadblocks up further down. We just keep going until we hit them. No, wait. That bus in front of the cafe. Hugh, let me off here, middle of the block. What for? I'm catching that bus south. We have to split up here. It's the only way to get through. Wait a minute. No. Take this money. Meet me in New Orleans, the old hotel on Dupelo Street. Use the name Graham. When? Christmas. Be careful. this time, rest your eyes and listen here to this week's continuing study in suspense, The Wife of the Red-Haired Man. I'm Rod Serling, and this is The Zero Hour. your host. This week, in Bill S. Ballinger's The Wife of the Red-Haired Man, Patty Duke Aston is Mercedes, John Aston is Rohan, and Howard Duff is Detective Williams. Featured in the cast are Harold Gould as Detective Scores, Byron Kane as Town, Paula Winslow as Mrs. Arms, Jerry Fogel as Davis, and Cynthia Adler as the clerk. Zero Hour is produced and directed by Elliot Lewis. Jack Myers is the executive producer, and Karen Lee Cohn, associate producer. Music conducted and composed by Stanley D. Hoffman. 
The Hollywood Radio Theater theme was played by Ferranti and Teicher. It is now available on United Artists Records and Tapes. This has been a J.M. Colas Enterprises production. Q-Doctor speaking. Tune in tomorrow and once again, rest your eyes and listen here to the Zero Hour. This is Ed Beach. I'd like you to join me this Saturday at 8, from 8 to midnight, for Just Jazz. I'll be doing a four-hour feature on the great Gerald Wilson Orchestra and Gerald's compositions of the 1960s. You come on along. This is Van Jay reminding you that you're listening to Jazz and Talk Radio, WRVR in New York, 106.7 on your FM dial.